This is Archbishop Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago. Today, I invite you to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a non-for-profit apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization that utilizes media, both old and new, to share the faith on every continent and facilitate an encounter with Christ in His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. This is an invitation to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. When our hearts are open, the Lord changes and transforms us so that we in turn begin to share the warmth and light of Jesus Christ, who is the Word on Fire. The global benefactors of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we commence today our prayerful reading of the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John something we do every third summer of the liturgical year. Hmm, how come this chapter? Why is the church focused so carefully on this chapter? Well, you know that John's gospel does not have what they call an institution narrative in its account of the Last Supper. It just means it doesn't have a a narrative dealing with Jesus' um, breaking of the bread and, and sharing of the cup, which we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke doesn't mean there's no Eucharistic theology in John because he develops the Eucharistic theology precisely in chapter 6. Could I invite you during this period, during these more contemplative days of summer, take the time to read through the whole of the sixth chapter of John. Maybe read it with your family. Read it in private prayer. Do a Lexio Divina, it's called, a sort of divine reading of this um, sixth chapter. It's in the context of the story of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, John's version of it, that we get his account of Eucharist. This is probably the best way to understand the Mass, Holy Communion, these central facts of Catholic life. So the Church invites us now in these, you know, quieter, lazier days of summer to sit back and meditate on John 6. Let me walk through the passage for today with the Mass in mind. because I think, I think it very much was in the mind of, of John as he wrote this. First we hear this. Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd followed him. Ah, it's a motif you find in all the Gospels, isn't it? Jesus' magnetic attractiveness. People were just captivated by him. They, they wanted to be near him. You know, we saw it last week in, in Jesus calling the sheep. He's the shepherd that calls Israel back. You hear it in Mark's gospel when it says people kept coming at him from all sides. There's something magnetic about him. How about that line from the liturgy? From age to age, you gather a people to yourself. So that from east to west, a perfect offering may be made to the glory of your name. See how it catches the gospel theme. From age to age, Lord, you gather a people to yourself. That's Christ is still magnetically attractive. 
the gathering at Mass, the very act by which we come together, is a function of this ongoing attractiveness of Jesus, undiminished down through the ages to the present day. Think of that when you're gathering for Mass. Maybe watch the people as they come in. Don't just, you know, chit-chat or daydream, but watch the people as they come in from all walks of life, both genders, people from different economic strata. Well, see what that is. It's a symbol of the coming together of the new Israel, a coming together of the kingdom. Then we hear Jesus went up the mountain. I know I've talked about this before, but it's a familiar theme, important one. In the Bible, the mountain as a place of encounter with God. Abraham binds Isaac on the top of Mount Moriah. Moses receives the law on Mount Sinai. Elijah faces down the priests of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel. Isaiah imagines God's eschatological mountain. Jesus himself gives the new law on a mountain. He's transfigured on Mount Tabor. Well, how come? Well, a mountain symbolizes the aspiration of the human spirit upward and the condescension of the divine spirit downward. It's signaled, in other words, a meeting of divinity and humanity, a meeting of divine freedom and human freedom in the great theodrama. Well, see, every mass is a mountain of encounter. Every Mass is, if I can put it this way, a kind of sacred trysting place between divinity and humanity. That's where you are now when you gather. Even for 6.30 Mass on Tuesday morning, you're gathering on the top of Mount Tabor, the top of Mount Sinai, the top of the mountain of the Sermon on the Mount. You're at a place of encounter with God. Then we hear this. He sat down with his disciples. We know, friends, we're probably going to miss this symbol, but in the ancient world, no one would have missed it. Sitting down was the attitude of the teacher. That's kind of peculiar for us. We, we think of a teacher standing at the podium, perhaps. You know, he's standing up in front of the class, lecturing. But in the ancient world, sitting was the accepted position of the teacher with his students literally at his feet. That's where that expression comes from. Sitting at the feet of your teacher. Well, he was sitting down, and you were kind of arrayed there on the ground at his feet. Well, it says, therefore, importantly, that Jesus sits with his disciples. And, of course, disciple is simply a word for learner. After we've gathered for the Mass... Drawn by the attractive power of Jesus, what do we do? Well, just this. We sit at his feet and we learn from him. This is the liturgy of the word. Do you see? When you listen to the scriptures, Vatican II says this very clearly. It's not just the lector speaking. It's Christ speaking. It's the word has invited you into intimacy with him, attracted you, and now you sit down at his feet while he teaches you, especially now in the words of the gospel. And then even by extension, if the homily's good, <laughs> in the words of the homilist, you continue to hear the words of Christ the teacher. 
We call this the liturgy of the word. And it's symbolized here with the disciples sitting at the feet of Jesus on the holy mountain. Then we hear the Jewish feast of the Passover was near. Ah, what was the Passover for ancient Jews? But the feast of liberation from slavery. And the meal which signaled the identity of the Jewish people. And the moment when a lamb was sacrificed to Yahweh. I mean, all that was on display in the Passover. They remembered the exodus from Egypt. They signaled their solidarity with each other in the sacred meal. And they ate the lamb which had been sacrificed to Yahweh. What's the mass? What's the mass? But the representation of the cross by which Christ set us free from sin. The mass is a recapitulation of Exodus. It's a liberation from the slavery of sin. What's the mass? But the sacred meal which defines us as Christ's people. What's the mass? But the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I think all that is packed into that little phrase when John says the feast of Passover was near. What he means by implication is every Mass is a kind of Passover. Every Mass sums up these great themes. Then we hear that Jesus sees a large crowd coming to him and he knows that they are hungry. Uh, They symbolize Israel, as I mentioned last week. But even more broadly, they symbolize, I think, the whole human race across space and time. The whole human race who's hungry not just for physical food, but above all, hungry for life, hungry for meaning, for purpose, for joy. See, friends, put yourself in that crowd. That's the idea. We're all in that crowd coming to Jesus hungry purpose, meaning, life, joy. The whole human race, which tries to fill up its hunger in every which way but the right way. You know, and I've said it a million times, pleasure, money, power, honor, all those things. But here now they're coming to Christ, as we all do every Sunday. When Jesus tests Philip, The disciple protests they have only a small amount of food for such a huge crowd. But then Andrew comes forward with a suggestion of the loaves and fish. Nothing, of course, for so many, but Jesus says, give them to me. Well, think of the Mass again here. At the Mass, a tiny amount of bread and wine is brought forward to the altar. It's given to the priest who's operating in persona Christi. Christ says, give it to me. So the priest symbolically says, well, give that to me. It's nothing, of course, to feed the infinite hunger of those who have gathered. It's one little bit, one little wafer of bread to give to people. Well, it's not going to satisfy their physical hunger. But what will it satisfy? It will indeed satisfy that deepest spiritual hunger. Again, go back to the story. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks. And distributed them to those who were reclining. This, of course, is a Eucharistic formula. Familiar already by the early church. He took, he broke, he gave thanks, he distributed. 
Once they heard that little rhythm, they knew the Eucharist was being talked about. And it's precisely what, to this day, 2,000 years later, the priest does at Mass. At this liturgy, which the Church calls Eucharistic, it's just the Greek word for Thanksgiving, the priest takes, breaks, gives thanks, distributes. It's the Eucharistic rhythm. And then we hear that wonderful statement. When they had had their fill. Now, in terms of the story here, in terms of of the physical event, they they were filled up on the bread and fish. That's true. But see, it's much more evocative, symbolic meaning. This is humanity finally satisfied. We've tried in a thousand ways to fill up the longing in us, but nothing will finally fill it except God. Only the Eucharist, which is what? The substantial presence of Jesus can ever satisfy our souls. That's why, you know, I'm unhappy, I'm unsatisfied, my life is, is meaningless, I feel like I'm drifting. Well, why? Why? Because you're seeking satisfaction in all the wrong places. Come to Christ, give him that little that you have, and he will multiply it so that you will be fed. And that intriguing detail, you wonder, you know, why this was included. But then when we read it symbolically, we know. He said to his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing will be wasted. Well, isn't this exactly what we do at the Eucharist? Once we've distributed the body of Christ, well, we don't let the fragments go to waste, but we gather them up. That was a practice of the very early church. We gather them up to take to the sick. We gather them up for the tabernacle. Last detail, they fill 12 wicker baskets. What is that? But the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus came to gather them and through them to gather the world. The Eucharist is the food and drink of the new Israel. The sheep scattered on the hillside are now magnetically attracted by Jesus. They are taught by Jesus and they are fed by Jesus. And they thereby become the new nation. Well, that's what happens at every Mass. We become the new gathered and fed and satisfied Israel. Friends, walk through this sixth chapter of John the next several weeks and dip into this deeply meaningful passage from this beautiful gospel. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Word on Fire. My prayer is that each of us may be on fire with love for God and neighbor. Until next week, I pray that God will bless you and those you love.